Welcome to the Red Rabbit Podcast. I am your host, Ticket Hickory. In this season of the Red Rabbit Podcast, we will be listening to book one of W.H. Ellingsworth's The Endless Falling of Dreams book series. So without further ado, the Red Rabbit Podcast proudly presents W.H. Ellingsworth's The Endless Falling of Dreams book one, Orthodoxy. Fare thee well, brave travelers. Episode 7, The Journal of Inspector Almier. On the way home, I stopped at a pawn shop an alien named Berkshire owned. Leningen Berkshire was an expert on eccentrics. Musicians, artists, playwrights, directors, you name it. If a person was an eccentric, and more importantly carried any sort of cult following, Berkshire knew about him and could probably sell you something by him. The shop was at the edge of the Bard's Abbey, a corner store barely the size of a decent-sized apartment. The walls were filled with kitsch and garbage, and the lights always seemed to be in need of changing. When I got up to the window, I saw Berkshire standing behind the counter hunched over a stack of papers. Behind him, the door to his apartment was left open. I could see his wife in the kitchen area of their two-room apartment, Holding a baby in her hands, she dug around a refrigerator. She looked at least ten years older than she actually was, and had a mole on the tip of her nose that was shaped sort of like a small cat's paw. Her hips were drawn, and her cheeks sunken between her cheekbones. She looked starved. The baby must have woke up, because now it was grabbing at her hair, and she tried soothing it by rocking it as she kept digging through the refrigerator. Finally, she pulled out a carton of milk, and while still rocking the baby, poured it into a mud-colored bottle she kept on the top of the sink. The rain was still coming down pretty hard. A military ship passed over the tops of the buildings above me, the automatic, monotone voice blaring. Curfew has been enacted. Please return home. Curfew has been enacted. Non-authorized personnel, please return home. I had to show my badge for the ship to scan. When I turned back toward the window, I was greeted by a little hand. Little crayon fingers were spread out across the glass. They belonged to Berkshire's oldest daughter, Mia, whose name I could never remember, so I always ended up calling her stupid names like Honey or Darling. I've always believed that every individual, including children, deserves their name. The girl looked up at me, the way she might at some strange creature at the zoo. I tried smiling at her, but did so awkwardly, and the little girl got so scared, she ran back toward the apartment. She was wearing tangerine-colored pajamas, with a picture of a smiling sun spread across her back. She had to be at least ten, but was short and thin for her age. Clenched in her hand was a little book, and when Berkshire saw what she was holding, He caught her in his big hands and ripped the book away from her. He gave her a quick tap on the shoulder and softly pushed her into the apartment, holding up the book to his wife. She shrugged as she fed the baby the milk. Berkshire raised his voice, but his wife told him to be quiet, pointing down to the baby, who sucked at a bottle 
maybe a third of the way filled. The door wasn't locked, so I stepped in, which resulted in Berkshire getting a dirty look from his wife. She shut the door to the apartment quickly, so I dried myself off from the rain and wiped my shoes so Lennington wouldn't think I noticed. All anyone's buying these days, Berkshire said awkwardly, holding up the book the little girl had in her hands. I could tell he was more embarrassed than angry. He pointed at the title of the book from me in dramatic fashion, The Pillars of Vier. What is that, some Pax Vier history book? I asked, squeezing water out of my sleeve. It dripped down on the tile floor, but the yellow laminate was so chipped and dirty, I didn't think he'd care or even notice. Worse, it's a instructor's manual, I guess. Teaches you the basic tenets of the Vier system. What's expected from a citizen and all that. Propaganda is all it is. They wrote it themselves and use it in their re-education centers on the planets they conquer. Some of the teachers are handing it out to the children. To the children. Do you believe that? Now my daughter. I grabbed the book from him and flipped through it. The chapters all had titles like The Freedom of Obedience, The One Voice Sextus, and Unified Thought and Peace. People are making their kids read it. Some of the schools are making it mandatory curriculum. My own daughter. Berkshire shook his head, picked up a pencil from the side of his desk. He tapped the eraser against the counter like it were a gavel. He scratched his head, the hair mostly gone, and I could see his scalp's red inflamed skin. He rose up in amorphous, swollen blotches. He told me before he got some strange rash from the bed sheets. With the water in their apartment being so finicky, they didn't always have enough to wash their clothes and feed the children. People think any of that is going to make a difference. Teaching their kids Vierian vows? Disgusting. Berkshire was right. A lot of people had begun trying to learn more about Vierian culture or their anti-culture uniformity. There were even training classes throughout the city. Greg hated them, but he told us not to worry about them unless they began starting trouble. The classes were nothing more but another desperate attempt. Attending a class couldn't buy you a spot in Sextus's paradise, and everyone knew this, even if they went to great lengths to fool themselves. There was only one major incident involving them. Some ex-Axiom employees turned sides and tried to lead other Vierian sympathizers in an insurrection against the ICA and Axiom. They caused a whole lot of damage, breaking windows, smashing cars, setting off explosions in the street. They were captured without any casualties, though, and each of them was sent to an orbiting penal center. A lot of people buying them? I asked after dropping the book back on the counter. Berkshire nodded again and rolled his eyes with disgust. Then he picked up the pencil and put it above his ear. Trying whatever they can, I guess. Yeah, I guess. My own daughter. You read any of it? No, no point. We're alien. We could quote the whole thing and it wouldn't do us any good. <laughs> he laughed at his own statement. He was both disgusted and amused by the grotesque absurdity of the Vier. 
as people couldn't sometimes help feeling. Something I learned about monsters is that the scariest ones are often also the most ridiculous. So why are you here, Francois? Murder and mayhem, you know. I'm surprised you can even care about any of that. With what's coming, I think your job would feel like the most useless task in the entire solar system. No offense, he offered, smiling. I smiled back and leaned against the glass. I got a name for you. A murderer? Berkshire said, perking up a bit. He adjusted his glasses so that he could see me better. His lenses were cracked at the edges and the frames were bent. He took them off and wiped them with a the tissue. No, a playwright, musician, taking in some culture with your remaining time. Again, he laughed. Name's Vidal, Pasker Vidal. You ever hear of him, Leningen? Berkshire grimaced and shrugged his shoulders. He spun around and went over to a computer he had sitting on a workbench behind his desk. He typed, one finger at a time, and blew dust off the screen as he did. I had my nephew put all my records on this computer, but I hate computers. I didn't think people like you existed anymore. You obviously don't know a lot of aliens. He was right. I didn't have many alien friends, but neither did most people. I knew about some of their beliefs and their resistance to advanced AI and what they deemed invasive technology. And I knew that the ICA hated that they didn't conform to the heterodoxy, that they didn't go with the philosophical ideal. But I couldn't understand why the ICA cared. It didn't matter. They were one more individual perspective that would be washed clean by a tyrant on a throne none of us could see, yet who already directed our lives. Vidal, I got something. Hold on. Berkshire jumped up from his desk and went over to a shelf in the back of the store. After he left the counter, the door to his apartment cracked open and his oldest daughter poked her head out. She stared at me, her mouth slightly open, and looking at her in those pajamas with her hair slung out and two opposing pigtails, I smiled. A genuine smile this time. She smiled back and then quickly shut the door. She was so thin. I didn't notice when I stood in the rain, but under the dim lights of the store, where shelves of junk piled up to the roof, I realized just how tiny she was. Her arms were spaghetti strings, and her smile, a few molars missing, showed how closely her skin was wound around the bone. Here, Berkshire said. Coming back from the row of shelves, he held a book in his hand and extended it toward me. It was titled, Postmodern and Deconstructionist Art, A Foray into Oblivion. This says the author is a man named Vox, Gorham Vox. Look in the index, he said, taking the book from me. He opened to the first page and pointed to a line written toward the bottom. Interview with T.S. Pergue and Pascar Vidal. He smiled gently and handed the book back to me, which I took, too tired to be embarrassed. You are supposed to be the detective, he said warmly, and walked behind his counter. Just then the little girl opened the door again. I was worried that Berkshire might yell at her. He didn't. He looked at her sadly and leaned over and kissed her head. Then he whispered into her ear in iliac, 
the alien's language and kissed her again. She smiled at him and then stared back at me, her mouth open, and slowly she pushed the door back into the wall. Excuse Mia, she's jumpy these days. Every stranger is the army of Vaya ready to take her away from me. I thought about this, about the man's young daughter, and found myself unable to speak. I wondered what it would be like to be that young and face monsters so real. When I was young, I was afraid of ridiculous things like machine monsters that roam space looking for flesh to burn. But my fears were only ridiculous. They were purely fantastical. The subject of the young woman's fear was equally fantastical in a way, and certainly just as ridiculously absurd. Sextus was a mockery of humanity, a grotesque character, but he was also cruelly real. He was not a campfire tale. His absurd viciousness existed in reality. I looked away, back out toward the rain. You want it? Berkshire asked me. I was startled by his voice. He was kind enough to ignore this. How much? Whatever you want to give me is fine. I'm never going to sell it before. He stopped suddenly and looked back at the door to make sure it was closed. Across the city I had seen this a lot. People would start alluding to the inevitable reality and then quickly stop and look around to see if anyone was in earshot. I guess it was noble, I still wanted to protect their loved ones from the truth, but I didn't think it was possible for anyone to not realize what was coming. Berkshire already admitted that Mia knew. That's why she was afraid. The pretense people maintained fascinated me, but not as much as it made me feel incredibly empty and alone. Here took out all the money I had in my wallet and handed it to him. I must have had more than a hundred dollars. I can't take this much. Take it, I said. I looked away from him, back at the book. He was smiling and it made me feel nervous. It wasn't that I didn't trust him. He was a kind man. But it was just that he never took his eyes off me when he smiled. Most people didn't look at each other long anymore looks were reserved to brief seconds. Buy the girl something with it. Some food or something. Berkshire nodded and thanked me about twenty times. I shook each thank you off with a wave. Then he bent under his desk, nearly losing his broken glasses when he did. I want you to have something, he said. I tried shaking his offer, but he wouldn't have it. No. I want you to take this, a gift. He took out another book and laid it across the glass. The traveling bard in his bowl. This book has many alien tales in it. I've heard of it. I didn't think there were any copies left. How did you get this? I asked. I must have gotten excited because Berkshire smiled slyly at me from behind the counter. A girl brought it in the other day. I nearly died when I saw it. I didn't think there were any copies left either. I can't, Berkshire. It, it's too much. I might not be a detective inspector, 
but I've learned how to read people standing behind this counter a little too. I know your real passion is books, and that is why I want to give you this. It's a rare book. There's a lot of alien tales, but these... I've never seen any of these stories before. Then again, I don't know. This book must be worth... You could sell it, I'm sure. To who? Everything will be gone soon. According to Ilian legend, the bard was a traveler who would bring a bowl to wherever he walked. People invited him into his home and fed him, filling up his bowl. He'd gift them the gift of stories. And according to ancient Ilian culture from which we descend, this was the greatest gift anyone can give, besides time. It's a gift to give a man your time. A great one. I'm sure you could still sell it to someone. I said, becoming very uncomfortable. I must admit I was very torn. The alien was right. I wanted the book. The old leather. The red felt pen lettering on the front. I wanted to grab the book. Go next to a fireplace and read it. While I listened to the rainfall. But the gesture... It went against the way things had to be, the reality the lights demanded. When the Vayer come, Berkshire whispered to me, leaning over the counter, we will not have a chance, but you, I don't want the book burned in a purge. I felt warm and dizzy. The dim lights over my head suddenly felt blinding. Berkshire's smile disappeared, and now there were only two sad eyes and his trembling bottom lip. It was too much, and I thought about running. I figured if anyone could hide them, you'd be my best bet. Just don't tell anyone about it. Hide it in your coat. People aren't kind to alien artifacts these days, and I want there to be something left of us. His words even caught him off guard, and he paused awkwardly. Okay. The lights were getting to me. I could barely see Berkshire's face. I just saw his smile, his cheeks creased up to his ears and his teeth spread out like a surgery patient's. It made me feel sick. I thought I might vomit or pass out, so I just grabbed the book and put it in my coat without even saying thank you. I grabbed the Goldstein book, too and turned as I heard the door open. Again, I heard Berkshire say something in Iliac, and then heard the door creak shut again. He was right to tell me to hide it. The book was banned across the ICA. I've heard about some black market smuggling ships taking people off the planet. Not sure where they're headed, but I hear they're not asking for too much. Your savings probably would be enough, I said without turning. The rain picked up outside and slapped against the cement. And go where, Francois? He tapped the papers he was looking at against the glass countertop to make them neat. There's nowhere to go. I hear some might be trying the dead planets. It's a chance, remote. But anything has got to be better than waiting. Waiting to know, Francois. I turned and looked at him. His thin shoulders and hunched back made him look elderly, but he wasn't much older than me. Surviving isn't necessarily living. The end is inevitable. The ICA will fall soon, 
the entire system. I said some are going to the dead planets. And what's the chance we even get there? On a smuggling ship, no less. They just pick us up on the way. I have a plan already in place, Francois. We will enjoy the last moments of our freedom. Not running, but together in our home. Many people had the same plan, which is to say no plan at all. I hardly felt like I was in any place to argue with them. The only argument I had was that survival was natural. It was instinctive to fight for your life. But that was easier to say without anyone attached to you. So I said nothing. Still, the thought of him and the baby and that little girl who smiled at me and the Vier and their troops coming in, it was too much. It remains too much. So I nodded like some drunken idiot and walked outside. From the street, I looked back and through the window and saw Berkshire open his apartment door and step inside. Before the door closed, I saw him kiss his wife on the forehead. She sat exhaustedly on a tiny wooden chair holding the baby. In front of her, Mia stood, staring at me. I could see her inspecting me, tracing the bags under my eyes and my terrible posture. At first I thought she still suspected me of being a spy, a double agent for the Vier. But then she smiled again and waved. The gesture caught me off guard, and rather than smile back, which I really wanted to do, I ended up sneering. I must have made a really ugly face because the little girl's eyes shot open and she ran to her father, nestling her head in his legs. I turned before I could see Berkshire's response and looked up at the sky. The lights looked bigger from when I had entered the building. Thank you for listening to the Red Rabbit Podcast. I am your host, Ticket Hickory, reminding you to always listen and watch carefully. Until next time, brave travelers.